growing up, we would sometimes come home from school. And my mom, she was a great baker and she enjoyed making interesting things. And one of our favorite recipes, Jeff will attest this, was carrot cookies. So you would boil carrots and you would mash up the carrots and you would make that into sort of a battery dough and you would make the cookies with that. And then the frosting was sort of a glaze that had like orange zest and orange juice. So it was these, these carrot cookies. We grew up with carrot cookies. Cookies made out of carrot mushed up inside with an orange glaze. Now, a couple times now as I have grown older, maybe, I was thinking the other day, maybe twice. <coughs> I think maybe twice in the course of my life, I've made carrot cookies for my children. They don't really remember much about carrot cookies with orange glaze. In fact, if I even mention, I think my younger kids have never had carrot cookies with orange glaze. And then... My kids, as they've grown older, they now have kids, and it suddenly dawned on me that they will never make carrot cookies with orange glaze for their children. And the other day, I was actually watching a TV show, and they were doing a recipe, and you'll never guess what they made. They made carrot cookies with orange glaze. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the cookie I grew up with. That's the cookie that's part of my, my history and my traditions and all, what I, all my memories from. And then I realized my kids, and certainly my grandkids, will never have part of that. That's just what happens as we grow and we progress and things happen, and we forget about some things that were once important to us. Those carrot cookies are the equivalent of what some languages are becoming nowadays. If you have ever worried about, oh, that recipe, oh, that tradition, that something is slowly dying out, that same thing is happening in countries around the world where languages and dialects are also dying out. If you're interested in hearing what the equivalent linguistics of the orange carrot cookie orange glaze recipe is. I am glad you stuck around. Welcome, everybody. I'm Darren Adam. And I'm Jeff. Welcome to the Voice Box Podcast. Our guest today is Daniel Zhang of ZFC. That's an organization in Fujian province in China that is working to preserve uh, the local language there, which is Eastern Min. Uh, and uh, they're working to uh, develop uh, language resources and speech technology to help do that. Daniel, welcome to The Voice Box. It's good to have you. Hello, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, hello, Jeff and Aaron. That was a great intro to the, that was a great analogy. I haven't thought about that. Well, I, I've got to ask now, first of all, was there some treat that you grew up with when, wh wh where did you grow up, first of all? I grew up in the Fujian province, the, where the organization is based. So, and um, was there some, was there some treat or candy or cookie that your mom or your grandma used to make for you that you remember that was part of that? Was there some kind of secret thing that, that you know about? Yeah, we have like, uh, I think the thing, the thing like, um, like a sweet potato mash that that I really like when I was growing up. It's not really dying out, but like right now, I'm I'm not living in China, so I, I couldn't have that. And you never had carrot cookies, though. I'm assuming, right? You never had cookies made uh, out no, of carrot. No, I haven't. Never, never had. I know. Now you're now you're interested. Now you want the recipe. I'm sure you do. No, now I got to get the equivalent of this. When you grew up, we're talking about the Eastern Min dialect uh, in China. Uh -huh. When you grew up. How much of that did you speak when you were growing up? Mm -hmm. So honestly, I, I wasn't a good speaker of Eastern Ming, uh, even until now. 
I, I barely spoke any of it uh, when I was uh, before I graduated from high school. I was a passive speaker, so my parents, my grandparents, they were all fluent Eastern speakers. But the parents of my generation, uh, they grew up with the assumption that um, speaking local dialects is bad for the children's development because it interferes with their ability to learn the national language, Mandarin, which is important for education and job prospects. So they never, never really talked to me in Islamese. I was like a passive speaker. The, the time when I had awareness that, oh, I need to learn Islamese was after I graduated from high school. I went to Shanghai for college. And a lot of my classmates and, and roommates, they spoke their individual dialects. I think I have roommates from, from, uh, from the, the, Guangzhou, uh, the Guangdong province. They speak Cantonese and people from Sichuan, they speak the Sichuan dialect. And it, it was that at that time that it uh, dawned on me that, oh, I'm from Fujian, I'm from Fuzhou, and I couldn't speak Eastern Ming, I couldn't speak the local dialect, and who am I? Like, it's an identity crisis, uh, uh, really. And, and then it was then that I, I started to uh, form like an online group of people. I, I, I asked a couple of friends from the same city that I grew up with, and they, they were kind of in a similar situation. So we couldn't speak Ismi very well enough. So we formed out like an online group where we speak uh, to each other in Ismi, try to learn from each other uh, online, like a kind of Zoom meeting every week. Um, and then later on, we brought in some some teachers, some some senior as a teachers. So um, Daniel, so Daniel, can I can I ask, when when your friends would speak the Sichuan uh, dialect or Cantonese, uh -huh. could uh -huh. could you understand them? Is it just a matter of a different accent, or are they are they really different languages? Um, so it, it differs because uh, for Sichuan dialect, it's actually part of the Mandarin dialect groups. So it's it's more like the what you mentioned. It's like a accent difference compared to Mandarin. Um, for Cantonese, it's quite different from Mandarin, also from Islamese. It's considered its, its own dialect group, or some linguists consider it to be a, a separate language. Uh, so it differs in vocabulary and terminology. Oh. Okay, so it's not like when Darren and I went to college and we had mm -hmm. roommates from another part of the United States, we could, there was a different accent, but no one would call that a different language. For you, uh, Eastern Min is is uh, more of a different language than than Mandarin or Cantonese, right? It, it's not it's not just uh, learning to speak with a Southern accent in the U.S. or something like that. No, that's that's quite different. It, actually, I think it's it's fair to compare the differences within Chinese dialects to those within uh, like between European languages. So they are related. They are all uh, derived from I don't know like. A, Old Chinese, but they have diverged quite differently uh, over the, the thousands of years. Whatever. So, like if you're in Germany and you cross the border to Netherlands, there are some things that are kind of similar. You can maybe mm -hmm. connect some things, but they are completely different languages. And so, if I'm picturing China on a map here, I got this big picture mm -hmm. in my mind. Then the mm -hmm. Eastern Min, Eastern Min dialect language is in mm -hmm. Southeast China, right? So it's clear over on the mm -hmm. coast sort of on the mm -hmm. south 
close to mm -hmm. Taiwan. In fact, do they speak Eastern Ming in Taiwan too? Uh, they mostly speak Southern Ming in China, uh, in Taiwan. A very small group of, I think, uh, diaspora area uh, communities in Taiwan, they speak Eastern Ming, but most of them speak Southern Ming. And is the language, is the language, is it, is it at risk of dying off unless someone does something to preserve it and keep people speaking it and having people hear it and, and all that? I think it is. I think it is. But if you look at the numbers, it's not very alarming because uh, because it's China. And, and even if it's like a dying language, it still has millions of speakers. But if you look at the comparison between like generations, like uh, one generation's uh, prior, like the, my, my parents' generation, they all speak uh, Eastern Ming. And another generation is prior, like my grandparents' Eastern, uh, my grandparents' generation, they probably spoke Eastern Ming exclusively when they grew up. So they have wider vocabulary. They, they know how to write in the language. But my parents' generation, they only need to they know, know how to speak the, the common things, the colloquial things. And to my generation, it's mostly a passive speaker and we can listen, but we can't speak very well. And then the next generation after us, they barely speak or, or understand anything. So the, the, I think the deterioration is very fast. So I think it is alarming. And the same is true with many uh, dialects in China. So how can speech recognition or uh, voice detection, how can that step in and help? How is that going to help do anything to preserve the language and the dialect? Mm. So that's a good question. So we came up with this idea because uh, like my group, my ZFC, we have long been doing, uh, it's because of my background as software engineers, we have been using technology to help uh, educate and to help promote the use of Eastern means. So we have built a digital dictionary, a dictionary app in Eastern Ming where people can type in like a, a romanization to look up a particular word in Eastern Ming. But what we found that it's, it has a very high uh, barrier for adoption because people have to learn the uh, romanization scheme. They have to learn the writing system in order to use, even if it's a digital tool, you have to learn a certain thing to, to use the system. And that's very bad because for language like Eastern Ming, there's no strong need there's no economical need for, for, for doing that. So people don't learn. So what we think can help, well, the, how, how voice technology can help is uh, by lowering the barrier of entry. Uh, barrier of entry they, they just need to speak to the phone, even in some uh, not so accurate speech, and we can find the correct word writing or the word definition for them. And that will significantly lower the barrier of entry. That's the whole idea behind why we want to use voice technology to enhance the uh, like the digital tools around Eastern Ming. So, Daniel, give me an example. Give me a practical example of some things that that you could do to make that happen. So, some what what are, what are you hoping is going to happen with voice technology with this? So the the ideal case, so um, so with voice technology, we're really talking about two two scenarios. One is text to speech. The other is audio to text. Right? So uh, with text to speech, uh, one of the scenario is actually 
recently demonstrated by another company in China. They work on the Suzhou dialect. And uh, in fact, I can, I can show you shortly afterwards, uh, they team up with a filmmaking uh, organization. They, so they shoot very nicely, um, I think the traditional theme with like traditional Chinese clothing uh, movie clips. And they dubbed it in the Suzhou dialect, which is uh, was, was one of the Wu dialects, similar to Shanghainese. And it, it, it had a very good perception on the internet. So people, many people were uh, made aware of the dialects through their films because it's so uh, uh, it's, it's like so 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 interesting, so beautiful looking. And one of the interesting thing they did was they dubbed the entire movie using uh, text to speech, so generative speech using um, using their TTS engine. So that was a that was a very interesting use case to showcase that oh the uh, TTS engine can do that, and one of the things that ZSC has been doing is we read text we read articles in Eastern Ming for a local newspaper, so we we, we do like a, a movie dubbing and we do like readouts of of, of articles for a local newspaper, but because most of our members are young people and they have limited ability even myself to read aloud in a language because that requires a wide knowledge of pronunciation and vocabulary. Uh, they lack that knowledge. It's actually very hard to train them. So I think uh, if we have like a TTS engine where we can input some kind of text and then with the computer putting out like a sample voice and then the, and, and then the, the human speaker imitating that, that can significantly uh, improve I don't know, adoption and, and make it easier for more people to participate in this kind of uh, uh, like a language campaign. So that's the case for TTS. So, so the movie, I gotta go back to this movie. I, Cause I've often wondered that when I'm watching a TV show or a movie and they have like the subtitles on the bottom or, or whatever uh -huh. that's, that's, that's going on. So were you able to take an entire movie and do did you did you do subtitles or was it actually someone speaking the language or what was the what was the final outcome and the verdict on that? Oh, so the the, the movie I was talking about it was dubbed in Shuzhou dialect. Yeah. So it was uh, someone, some human or uh, AI voice dubbed it over. So for for the for the for the actors talking to each other, they were the human voice, and for the uh, narrator, it was uh, AI voice. So it was like a, it was kind of a hype because uh, many of the southern dialects in China they are considered to have more traditional traits compared with uh, like old Chinese, their Mandarin. So so the so the hype was really around like like imagine if you shoot like a, a movie about like all the old Britain and you speak modern day English that doesn't really match if you think deep, deeply about it. And the, the role uh, those dialects played in, in the movie was that we tried to use modern southern dialects of China to imitate what it might sound like in olden days of China. Because the, the, the scene, the movie scenes are about like uh, olden time, maybe like the Ming Dynasty or Tang Dynasty. And they dubbed it using a, a, a dialect, southern dialects, and then it makes you feel more like a 
like a, at an old age. It, it adds like an antique feeling to to the to the movie. If you could have a genie in a box, so we ask this question for everybody. So you've got a box, and a genie's going to come out. <clears throat> like you rub your lamp, and you get three magic wishes from the genie. In this case, you're rubbing a box because it's the voice box, and the genie comes out and will grant you any wish that you want to be able to do whatever you want. So anything, not, not any wish, but it's got to be something to do with voice technology, speech recognition, voice to text, whatever that might be. If, if you could have any wish for, I don't know, technology or some kind of breakthrough, does anything come to your mind like, oh, I wish we could just do such and such? What would you wish from the genie in the box? Anything come to mind? Um, does it have to be for either me or for anything? Now, now, I, I, now, now he's going to wish for a new bike or something, Jeff. I, I don't, you know, he's going to, who knows what he's going to wish for. Uh, he's like, well, if I can have anything, uh, can no, I get no, a new house when I get home and we're not gonna, Tesla we're not in the driveway? We're um, not going to limit to the Eastern men. So uh, it could be any any kind of speech technology. I will always have, but it could be for you. It could be for the company. It could be for the the community. Something along the OC. You now he's thinking. Yeah. That we've never we've asked this question, Daniel, to everyone, and nobody has ever clarified this on us. So like you can tell, his mind is his wheels he's are going along seriously. in his head. Because you know what he really wants to wish for. I can tell you what he really wants for. He wants a recipe for the carrot cookies with the orange glaze. I know uh, that's what he wants to ask for right there. Yeah. But sorry, that's top secret. I can't pass that along. So aside from that, Daniel, what would you want to wish for? Um, so I've, I've always had this fantasy of, uh, is it possible to have a universal language uh, recognizer for, for, for all languages? Because I, 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 like, I think the very early on, even when I, before I started computer science, I tried to look for uh, like a software that can recognize IPA, like any IPA, any language. And then I was, I was like naively thinking like if you can, have a model that recognizes IPA uh, from any speech, then like, any other language can just build on top of that, right? Using the symbols generated. Uh, but I think it's not, there's not no such thing today. I think there has been in some language, I think like for Indian languages, there have been some efforts to build like universal model for similar languages. But it would be great if we have like a universal language for you whole human, all human languages, that would be, the, I, I think that's the that's the ultimate uh, gift that I can think of for the for the whole language community. See how magnanimous are you? You know, you could have wished for a new car and a Tesla in the driveway, and instead, you wish for all of the community, the entire human world, to be united with one giant voice recognition tool software. Jeff, you got to have you have your work cut out for you on that. By the way, Daniel, I know you're interested, so I'm going to have Jeff call our mom and get the recipe for the carrot cookie with the orange glaze. I'll have him email it to you so you can go try it as soon as you can, because I know your mouth is watering for it right now, and you can sit down and enjoy those while you're picturing the entire universal voice recognition sounds like something from an avengers movie i don't know we'll, we'll figure that out but daniel thank you again thanks so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts and letting us know what you're up to yeah, thanks for having me. thank you daniel thanks for joining yeah, thanks for having me So Jeff, I know you are working a lot with Daniel and his company. So tell me what you're doing and how you're helping with their efforts in preserving the Eastern Min language. Yeah. Um, so what happened was uh, you might have you might have heard uh, already previously that we've been working with a group of students at Brigham Young University 
to build Cambodian speech recognition. And I talked about that somewhere in a, in a podcast or somewhere, and uh, Daniel heard about that and said, oh, we could use that kind of help uh, with Eastern men. So he, he contacted me and asked if we could work out a similar arrangement. And, and that's essentially what we're doing. So, uh, you know, they're a, they're a small company. They don't have a lot of money. They can't afford to hire Cobalt to do all of the heavy lifting, but, but they also have a lot of their own talents and skills um, for, for that the, they can contribute. And so Daniel and his colleagues are doing a lot of the work with Cobalt as a sort of a mentor, uh, a guide using Cobalt's tools and software and so forth. So we have an arrangement uh, with them that we will help guide and mentor and, and you know, uh, coach them. They're gonna do most of the work uh, to build speech recognition and text-to-speech for Eastern men. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I hope, as he said, there are like 10 million people speaking this uh, language in, in, uh, in Southeast China. Um, I hope there will be commercial opportunities, whether it's dubbing the newspaper, you know, speaking, reading the newspaper or dubbing movies or uh, automating bus announcements or whatever. Um, I hope there will be some commercial opportunities that come from that. But uh, we at Cobalt are doing this partly because we have a it's, it's a, a part of our mission to help uh, bring speech technology to uh, all the languages of the world, or as many as we can get to. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that we will uh, single-handedly hit all 8,000 languages of the world, but uh, we'll do what we can. And, and we were talking, because I'm, you know, I'm picturing this dying out language, sort of like the dying out carrot cookie recipe kind of thing that no one's making anymore and no one's speaking the language. But there are still, as he mentioned, millions of of people who speak the Eastern mean dialect language. So there's still plenty of people who need this resource and need this tie-in to be able to connect with the rest of civilization, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's largely the older people, uh, the older generation uh, that, uh, that speaks it, you know, as their first language. A lot of the younger generation are learning it as a second language to, as a, as a point of cultural pride and identity. Uh, and uh, and and so the more that we can support both of those camps, uh, the better. Yeah. So I got to ask you. You also talked about the mission of Cobalt to bring uh, speech technology and and the, the tools to all the languages of the world. That's sort of along his genie in the box wish is some kind of universal voice recognition tool. I picture some magic box like in in a movie that's it's glowing or something. So give me the story. <laughs> How feasible slash realistic is something like that? It's not completely unrealistic. It's, uh, there are people who have done some uh, academic projects uh, to, uh, to build, sort of to work toward what he's talking about. First of all, let me, let me introduce, he, he said, he used the term IPA, which stands for the International Phonetic Alphabet. That is that's a, a set of symbols, a, a, a specific set of symbols that are used to represent the, the sounds of all the world's languages. And in English, we only use like 45 or 50 of those sounds. Uh, in Eastern Min, they're gonna use, I don't know, I don't know what the number is. They're gonna use, uh, you know, 50 um, uh, phonemes, 50 of these sounds. And there'll be some overlap, but there'll be some differences that, 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 that if you put them all together, there are hundreds of, different 
sounds or phonemes across all the world's languages. Uh, and what his goal was, was to be able to recognize language on the basis of this international phonetic alphabet to be able to say, oh, I recognize what you're saying. No matter what language you're speaking, I can recognize all the sounds that you're speaking. The challenge with, with doing that is that um, modern speech recognition, it, it relies also very heavily on the context. And that, that means understanding the words and the phrases that, that go together. We're not just accurately recognizing each individual phoneme you know, in isolation and then, and then gluing them together. We need the context to be able to even understand what those phonemes are. Um, and, and there are people who have been working toward building multilingual speech recognition. That is that it can use this, the IPA set or maybe some subset of the IPA set as, as Daniel mentioned, there are people who are doing that for uh, the dial, many dialects within India. Um, so they focus on the, the phonemes of those Indian languages uh, and they, they can get uh, the acoustic model to represent those, uh, but you still need the context to, to really decode it well. So um, I think there, there is a reason, as, as we at Cobalt are looking at more and more languages and we're you know, we've been, I mentioned Cambodian and we've talked about Eastern Min and there are a half a dozen other languages that people are right now currently talking with Cobalt about, can you help us with this language? In some cases, there are languages so, um, so endangered that they don't even have a writing system. They're, they're just spoken. Uh, and that actually is kind of hard to think about how to build speech technology for a language that doesn't have a writing system. Um, but, um, uh, but as we as we get more involved in those kinds of projects, um, um, th th we are talking more and more about well, what kind of you know should we be starting to invest in multilingual acoustic models? That the, these you know an IPA based uh, 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 decoder, um, and and so I guess coming back to trying to pack all that together and, and answer the question. I, I think there is a future in what uh, Daniel's suggesting or asking for. Uh, I think we are moving in that direction, but I think we'll never get away from being able to, being uh, of needing to understand the context, the words and the phrases, and you know, and to some extent the meaning of what uh, what people are talking about. Uh, so you still do need to understand the individual languages as well. So there's hope. You're, say, you're saying it's coming. It's coming down the road. Yeah. We'll be there before you know it. Uh, I think you'll know it before yeah. we're there, but yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> it was interesting hearing the stuff that Cobalt is doing and especially the stuff that Daniel is doing, preserving that language and uh, for, for, for the older generation and for the new, newer generation to connect with that. The same kind of thing I'm trying to do with carrot cookies and orange glaze icing. So we will perpetuate that recipe. Anybody wants it, just, just send, send Jeff an email. He'll, he'll personally send you the email for the recipe for the cookies, right, Jeff? Yeah, I, I love those cookies as a kid. I have never made them. So my- See, see, case in point, all. right there. It yeah. is, you are, you are killed. At least I've made them, I think, once. So at least I'm doing my duty to carry on mom's recipe. I'm telling her right now that you have never made. I'm calling her as soon as we're finishing with this. But you know in what? the meantime, everybody else. Oh yes. I was just gonna say. I think I'll just. I think I'll just post the recipe 
uh, when we uh, when we share the podcast. We'll put it in. The and then people will say, what was the podcast about this week? And someone will say, I, I think it was about carrot cookies. I think that's what they were talking about. And uh, anyway, hopefully you get the real message behind there. Yeah. So anyway, thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Voice Box. I'm Darren. I'm Jeff. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.